From KCRW, this is Greater L.A. I'm Steve Chiatakis with a show that connects you to the people and places of Southern California. The war in the Middle East that's cost thousands of lives, 1,200 Israelis and more than 15,000 Palestinians, continues to reverberate around the world. And of course, here in Los Angeles, where there have been all kinds of demonstrations, a rise in hate crimes, and a lot of solidarity between people on both sides. L.A. has been home to a number of peacemaking and cross-cultural efforts, and many of them have centered on food. When you're sitting at a table enjoying a meal with someone, it's so hard to otherize them. That's Natasha Feldman, a cookbook author who lives in West L.A. She talked to KCRW's Juliana Mayo, who reached out to Jewish, Israeli, Palestinian, and Arab chefs and restaurateurs to talk about their food and how they're feeling. It's really, really cool to bring people together for everybody to recognize that there's so much more similarity than difference. And we can all cook a simple meal. Um, We can all invite people over. And I think it's one of the best ways that you can take control of, you know, finding ways to put aside your own biases and helping Los Angeles become a better place. Juliana visited a number of restaurants and gatherings and homes, and she's with us right now in the studio. Hi, Juliana. Hi, Steve. So what did you find? Because everybody loves food. They do. Yes. (laughs) But we're both from the South, so we know that food can also be contentious. Contentious, but it also can be, it can bring people together as well. It does. And every place I went to in L.A. was kind of a cross-section of the city, right? Like Israeli, Palestinian, Jewish joints are all full of... Black people, white people, Jewish people, Muslim people, Asian people, every kind of people that live in L.A. And the message also felt kind of unified at these places, too. It was like everyone just wanted peace. For example, like, how do you, how do you know that? Was it, <laughs> were people singing Kumbaya? Were, I mean, what was going on inside these restaurants? There, there was no Kumbaya, Steve. But um, I went to a Palestinian gathering yesterday. They were raising funds for a relief fund to help kids who'd been injured in Gaza. And it was downtown in this giant warehouse. I think they had expected like a thousand people to show up, but I would say double that probably did. It was sold out. And there was a line of people about a block and a half long going in. And it was... So many different types of people. Again, there's hipsters, there's Muslims, there were Jewish people, there were people of all ages. And for 15 bucks, you could go in and enjoy food and books and art and T-shirts. I met Fatma Mohammed there, who was selling knafa. Knafa? What is knafa? It's this Palestinian dessert that's made of shredded phyllo dough, Mm. and then it's kind of stuffed with this, like, sweet and salty cheese, and it gets baked until the phyllo dough gets nice and brown and crispy, and then in the middle, the cheese gets melty. That sounds delicious. Oh, my goodness. And then they pour some simple syrup on it and top it with pistachios. Pretty magical. Fatma herself was just larger than life. She's dressed in hot pink from head to toe. She's got a pink tiara on. She's got pink food service gloves, Steve. Like, she found pink for everything. She's wearing a pink purse, and it had a keffiyeh strap. She was just larger than life and so hospitable and amazing. We are feeding everyone from Jewish to Palestinian to Syrian to, uh, you know, African-American to Caucasian. It's beautiful. It's it's a melting pot. She was carrying that message of peace, and she says that's what her company, Knafa Queens, is really all about. I just want people to, you know, to stop 
focusing on the exterior and look within and just I want people to realize we're all at the end of the day we're all human and we all have the same needs we all want the same thing we all want security and safety and love and for us to just you know start to be more human and more kind and you know kindness goes so much farther than hate and you know we're in a time right now where we're missing a lot of nuance too right like yeah, absolutely. exactly and it, it sounds like you heard a similar message from Jewish people with whom you spoke. Right. Um, yesterday, Natasha Feldman, who is an American Jewish cookbook author, invited me into her home kitchen for an interview. And, and she had this to say about Israel right now. As a group that has been historically persecuted, I would hope that we would be a people that don't want to do that to other people. That's how I want to live my life. And that's what I hope the future holds. And she also made this broader point about how she sees herself and her food fitting into that dialogue. I do think in this circumstance, it's really brought out the worst in everybody. And there is such hatred coming from both sides of of what people think is right. And I think that as a human, you have to learn to bend. And it's the same as a recipe. You know, you read a recipe and it says one tomato, but maybe that tomato isn't juicy and you actually need three. There's so many ways in which if you hold so rigid, it's hard to find the truth. And so I've been doing a lot of listening and trying to figure out what I, how I feel like I fit in. And, you know, a lot of people that I know are really adding their personal opinions. And I think where I fit in isn't adding my own personal opinion but it's in bringing people together so that they can have these sort of discourse in person and make these decisions for themselves. And again, that's that's where the food comes in, right? People mm-hmm. coming together with food. You mentioned, Juliana, that Feldman was American. Were you able to talk to any Israeli Jewish people? Well, Steve, I ate my way around the Israeli corridor in the valley. <laughs> um, it's but- tough work if you can get it, right? <laughs> it was pretty great. I'm yeah. not going to lie. I spoke to a lot of Israelis, but I couldn't get anyone to speak with me on the record. The general response was kind of that it was too hard to talk about. I think some people were worried about being targeted. Um, I spoke to one person who told me that she was critical of Israel's response, but she had family in Israel and didn't want to jeopardize their safety by, by talking about that. I think safety is on a lot of people's minds right now. For instance, I visited Cantor's, the Jewish deli and just institution that's on Fairfax. It's been around for over 100 years, and it's popular with everybody. You don't have to be Jewish to like chicken soup. (laughs) That was Jacqueline Cantor. She's a third-generation owner of the business. And and they were victims of a hate crime recently. Swastikas got sprayed all over the outside walls um, of Cantor's on November 1st. Police haven't figured out who did it. So I asked her how they were doing. We did have a little bit of anti-Semitic graffiti on our parking lot, but we have moved on since that time. Everybody has been very supportive of us, and we don't tolerate hatred. We believe in loving people, not hating them. So everybody is welcome at Cantor's. Did you hear, Juliana, from any Muslim folks about whether they were experiencing the same kind of attacks? Because we hear about anti-Semitism and we hear about Islamophobia as well. Yeah, I spoke to Azmi Haroun at the downtown Palestinian event. He's Syrian and had traveled from Seattle to participate and um, sell his restaurants Zatar and Spreads. Yeah, there's been so many fears for Arab-owned, Palestinian-owned businesses of, you know, if you speak up and, you know, people having... Their vandal, you know, windows vandalized, or um, you know, negative reviews flooding on websites, and you know, so 
we have been blessed to not to not be on that side and i think that it there is fear though you know there's definitely fear of like uh you know you speak out on something that's just like a moral thing and people you know make it something else and target you mostly what i heard though was about people who cook wanting to welcome everyone to their table again food bringing people together so food is a way to connect right from people from other from other places and other perspectives yeah exactly and also food is a way to feel better when things are scary and sad Again, Jacqueline Cantor shared her personal recommendations for comfort food if you need it right now. I would say potato pancakes are good. A grilled cheese sandwich is a good comfort. Egg salad is great for comfort. A a corned beef Reuben is, you can't go wrong with a corned beef Reuben. (laughs) And of course, it's not just the Jewish deli that's got the good stuff. As I mentioned, I ate my way around Valley's Israeli offerings. And then I went to... Jerusalem chicken, which had the most amazing falafel I've ever had in my life. And I'm super excited for Natasha Feldman's pop-up that she's doing for Hanukkah. It's called Festivus. A Hanukkah... For the rest of us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. A Hanukkah barbecue. And she's just doing super comfort food um, in the Jewish tradition. So they're, they have like a big Maccabee that's like um, two latkes. And in the middle, there's brisket. I mean, it's just, it sounds amazing. It sounds divine, actually. And let's maybe get our hands on some kanafa as yes. well with the melted cheese in the middle. And that'll make the meal complete. I love it. <laughs> KCRW's Juliana Mayo. Juliana, thanks for coming in. We appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Just ahead, the eye of a rock photographer who captured some of the seminal moments, the -the behind-the-scenes moments of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Henry Diltz has a new book, and your ears will see it on the other side of this. Introducing the KCRW Donation Car, designed to be recycled. This first-of-its-kind vehicle will save you time, space, and hassle by disappearing. Enjoy the luxury and comfort of turning your underused car into a donation worth hundreds, even thousands of dollars. The KCRW Donation Car, already in your garage, driveway, or on cinder blocks outside your house. Act now at kcrw.com cars. You're listening to Greater LA from KCRW. I'm Steve Chiotakis. He was on the ground during the rock explosion of the 60s, snapping photos of bands such as Buffalo Springfield, The Doors, and the rock supergroup Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and sometimes Young. Teach your children well Their father's hell did slowly go by Don't you ever ask them why If they told you you would cry When David Crosby, Stephen Stills, Graham Nash, and Neil Young got together to make music, renowned photographer Henry Diltz was there from the beginning, and for decades afterwards, capturing the magic of the music with his camera. And now, with the upcoming release of his new book, CSNNY, Love the One You're With, You get to see hundreds of these photographs on page after page. And Henry Diltz is here in studio to talk about it and to remember those days. Henry, welcome to KCRW. Thank you, Steve. Good to be here. It's nice to have you here. By the way, and I I think we should preface it 
this way and say that this book is not going to be available at your neighborhood bookstore. This is a limited edition book. Yes, Genesis, a great publishing company in London. They do all these books, and they're, they're always 2,000 copies, and that's it. So they, they're, they're pricey. 2,000 copies for 8 billion people on planet Earth. Yeah, yeah. right. Maybe years <laughs> from now they'll put it out for bookstores. But right now it's a, a collector's edition. And it is a massive archival. How did it come together? It is. They did a book on uh, uh, Laurel Canyon some 10 years ago. Genesis Day. I, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I don't know who thought of it, <laughs> but they said, we want to do a book on Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. And, I, you know, I had met virtually all of those guys, except for Graham. I met them as a musician. I was a folk musician in the 60s. So the first person I met was Stephen Stills, when, when my folk group, the Modern Folk Quartet, was playing the Village Gate, a jazz club in Greenwich Village in New York. And Stephen was like 18 years, 19 years old, singing in a coffee house. And he would come down between his sets and sit on the edge of our stage and listen to us because we had four-part harmony and he liked the harmony. So that's when I met Stephen, you know. And then David I met as a fellow musician right, right around the same year. Um... And Neil, yeah, I met him Buffalo Springfield Day, 66. 66. Yeah, and that's the same year I met uh, Graham Nash in the Hollies. When he was in the Hollies, that's right. He was in the Hollies before that. So, you know, I thought thought to myself about this book. I thought, well, yeah, I've photographed these guys half of my life. But then when I sat down and did the math, it's really two-thirds of my life. Exactly. Yeah. You mentioned Laurel Canyon here in... Here in LA, it was it was ground zero for the folk rock explosion. I mean, one of one mm-hmm. of their big hits centered on when Graham Nash was living with Joni Mitchell there That's right. in the canyon. And he tells the story to Terry Gross on NPR's Fresh Air that he and Mitchell had breakfast one day in the valley and they were walking down Ventura Boulevard and found a lovely vase that she then bought. It was a very gray, kind of sleety, drizzly L.A. morning. And we got to the house in Laurel Canyon, and I said, you know what, I'll light a fire. Why don't you put some flowers in that vase that you just bought? Well, she was in the garden getting flowers. That meant she was not at her piano, but I was. (laughs) And an hour later, our house was born. So what was it like capturing? Were you in Laurel Canyon? Were you living there, I too? I lived in Laurel Canyon. You did? Yeah, I did. So you were neighbors with these folks? Uh, yeah, I lived up the hill from Joni Mitchell and Graham, up, up Lookout Mountain Avenue. Lookout Mountain Avenue. Yeah. Um, the Beach Boys, the Eagles, Frank Zappa, right? Linda Ronstadt. There were yeah. so many musicians. The Turtles. One the of the Turtles. Guys the Turtles lived across the street from me. Dan Fogelberg had rented a place right across the street from me. You know, Laurel Canyon, I mean, now it's kind of like Camelot. It's this mythical place. But it was it's just kind of a, a kind of a mountain bedroom community. You know, five minutes from Hollywood, you go up the hill and you're in the country. And it's no good for families because there's no yards. There's no, you know, it's all steep, curvy hills. Yeah, yeah. So you can't have kids up there. So families don't live up there. But actors and musicians lived up there. With big balconies overlooking the canyon. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know. 
Yeah. Because people say, oh, do you have a lot of pictures of Laurel Canyon? Well, it's a curvy street with cars parked on both sides, you know? <laughs> it's the little houses up the hillside where the stuff goes on. Yeah. Did you take a lot of pictures, though? I mean, I, it, there weren't, I mean, what kind of views? You had wonderful views there, right? And the music was, I can't even imagine. Well, I took pictures like. of the people, yeah. you know, not the street. Yeah, there was yeah. nothing to photograph, really, you know. But but I lived up, I moved up there and when I first got to L.A. in 63, 64, and had my own little one-bedroom place up there. Was um, that I, was that a, when you came to L.A.? Did someone, you know, other musician friends of yours say that's where that's where you go? Well, yeah, I think first of all, I went to the Troubadour Club. We we, we played our first gig there at the Doug open Weston. mic. Yeah, yeah, Doug Weston's. And then I I think I went. Somebody said, "Oh, there's a party up the hill at Hoyt Axton's house." Hoyt Axton was Hoyt a folk Axton. singer way back when. Yeah, yeah, whose mother wrote Heartbreak Hotel. Really? Yeah. Uh, but so, oh yeah, oh, it's up the hill, up in Laurel Canyon. And so right away I saw Laurel Canyon. Wow, this is really nice. All these little bungalows on the hillside. That's, that's where you want to live. So Graham Nash with Joni Mitchell in the house, our house, mm-hmm. um, Stephen Stills, David Crosby. You, you met these folks. You hung out with these folks, took a lot of pictures with all of them together. Tell me some stories. Yeah. Well, I mean, I did, you know, more as a, a fellow photographer. I mean, I always say, well, I wasn't really a photographer. I was a, a musician friend with the, with the camera. When you're a musician, you belong in a club with all the other musicians, you know? You're not an outsider. If I was just a photographer, you know, I'd walk in and everything would stop, and they'd say, oh, okay, well, we got to take pictures. Like Andy no, Leibovitz no, no. or something like that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, but not me, you know? I'd walk in there very quietly, and, and sort of the pictures you don't take— lead to the good picture because you don't start clicking away, you know, then you're in their face. Now you sit down and, and behave yourself, behave properly. And then when something interesting is happening, you quietly take the picture. No one even notices. Is that true? They don't notice? Yeah, no, not really. Because very... there's like in video and audio, like you have a red light on your microphone right now, right? Yeah, so yeah, that means yeah. you're on, you're on yeah, the air, Yeah. right? And when people see a red light on a camera, or they see a flash. I, no, there's no. There was no light on my. They camera. hear a click. Yeah, no, no flash. There'd be a little click, but like when they were recording, I I knew as a musician to click on the beat. You know, when the bass drum went boom, I would go click, and then you it wouldn't ruin the recording. You know, but I I'm stealthy. They call it fly on the wall. They call it, it's more. I I am just fascinated by people by the human experience. I'm curious about people. When I was in college, my major was psychology. Not because I wanted to be a psychologist, because I wanted to learn about what is this? How do I, you know, what, what are we supposed to do? What are we, to, why, you know, I'm just curious about life. How did you make the turn from music to photography? I uh, will tell you, one morning when we left Michigan State University, after doing a concert East there. Lansing. They're not yet. It was East Lansing. And as we left town that morning, someone looked out the, win- the windshield and said, look, a secondhand store. Well, we had to pull in, you know, secondhand store. You got to go in there. And as we walked in the door, I was second behind Cyrus Fariar in our group. As we walked in the door, there was a table full of secondhand cameras, 20 bucks each. And without thinking, I just said, oh, yeah, why not? Never thought about it. Never thought about, oh, I ought to get a camera. I want to take pictures. Not a thought. So, but I used that for, you know, a few months, and then I got a, a 
a proper camera. And then you were like, I want, okay, so I've got this, this camera that I don't know what I'm going to do with. I think I'm going to take some pictures of, of rock musicians. Yeah. Well, here's what happened. So for two weeks, as we headed back to LA driving and doing concerts, we photographed each other and everything we saw. We got to LA and we got all of our hippie friends together and had a slideshow. And then when the first slide hit the wall, I got it. I said, wow, it's just like we're back there. I know David Crosby is no longer with us, but Stills and Nash and Young, they are, thankfully. Um, do you talk to them? Do you hang out with yeah, them sometimes? Yeah, I do. I've seen Stephen a few times in the past month. I, I see those guys and talk to them. I mean, you know, over the years. And David, he's not that far away. He's just on the other side, you know. Yeah. That's where the party is now, you know. Yeah. What do you see going forward with your career? I mean, you're are you you're not done? No, no, no. I take pictures every day, all day long. I what probably, do you take pictures of? Oh my gosh, things on the street, you know, signs, old trucks, you know, people. Do you think you taught other photographers going forward? Hey, this is how you do it. Well, I, you know, it's all about what you see what you want to see the moment you push the button, you know, because people say, Oh, thank you for taking all these wonderful moments. And I think, well, yeah, I mean, there was a, you know, a few hundred thousand moments, but what about the trillions of moments I didn't photograph? You know, I mean, so it, it, it's what, cause somebody said, what about today? Everyone's got a phone. Everybody's thinking, sure. And, and they're great. And you can take a lot of pictures of your friends but it depends on what you're taking a picture of, right? I mean, if it's, you know, and how you frame it. The book is called CSNNY, Love the One You're With. It'll be out, what, in about a month, right? The end of the year? Yeah, end yeah. of December. Yeah, but only 2,000 copies of this giant coffee table book that... Right, yeah, it's a, it's a collector's uh, edition, you know, and, they, and people buy them like crazy, you know, they collect all of them. So um, it'll sell out, you know, uh, pretty quick. I hope we can put out a, a, another version of it in a few years. They don't want to, you yeah. know, they want the collectors to have the, the it's only 2,000 and that's it. Only for you. Here it says this edition is limited to 2,000. Um, this and, edition, yeah. And I hand-signed it, and Graham Nash hand-signed it. Well, this is a love. Thank you for giving me this book. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. it, Henry. And so did... Steve Stills hand signed it right there. These are actually signed on the paper. It's not printed on. Look at and that. And then it just goes through. There's me back in the day. Let me see. Let's see. Long hair. Long yeah. hair hippie oh, people. Yeah. Need not apply, I huh? Was a peace and love hippie. Yeah. Still am. <laughs> <laughs> people sometimes say, they walk in a gallery and say, wow, what's your favorite picture? And I say, well, you know, I was there for every picture I took. So for me, it's part of my life. So, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember what happened then. You know, so that that's what it, it, it reminds me. It reminds me of those things I did, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Good times. Oh, gosh, yeah. Harry, yeah. what a great, t what a beautiful book. Thank you I, for stopping by and bringing it to show us. And sure. Absolutely. Right. It was so nice to meet you. Thank you, Steve. We'll have a link of how you could try to get your hands on it at our website, kcrw.com slash GLA. Henry Diltz. Henry, thanks for coming on and talking with us. Sure, Steve. My pleasure. going to do it for us this evening. Tomorrow, as leaders from around the world converge on Dubai for the UN Climate Change Conference, what are some of the obstacles to 
climate goals right here in L.A. and in California. And how a middle school compost project is helping kids face an environmental uncertainty. That's yours on Greater L.A. This Week. I hope you'll join us online anytime at kcrw.com slash GLA. And while you're there, tell us how you're doing. Share a story idea with us and grab the podcast, too, so you can get the show on the go all there at the website, kcrw.com slash GLA, or get the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Juliana Mayo, Zoe Matthew, Kelsey Gante, Eddie Sun, Sonia Geis, Ray Guarna, Phil Richards, Amy Ta, Carlos Ramirez, Michael Vogel, and Christian Bordal all helped run this evening's episode. I'm Steve Chiotakis. Thanks for the time. Thanks for that ear. Bye-bye. <laughs>